Do you remember the story of the three little pigs? Uh, the, the three pigs, they each had their own house that they built, right? Uh, the story of the three pigs started first appearing in print editions in 1840. Now, some of you might remember when the first print editions were, were out. Um, I don't, I wasn't there, um, but the, the legend that we, or the story as we most readily recognize it, was first printed in uh, June of 1890 in a book called English Fairy Tales by a guy named Joseph Jacobs, and, and in Joseph Jacobs' rendition, it was a little softer than the original, because the original, the first two pigs got eaten, right? As Joseph Jacobs tells the story, they run to their brother's house. And many of us grew up knowing the Silly Symphony, right? The Silly Symphony is the little eight-minute cartoons that the Walt Disney Corporation would put out there. And they would have, uh, in the Silly Symphony, they would have uh, the, the fiddler, and they would have the piper, and then they would have the working brother, and they all sang their song. Who's afraid of the big bad wolf? The big bad wolf, the big bad wolf. You remember the storm, 1933. Wow, most of you might not have realized that that cartoon was that old. 1933 it came out. But the whole story of the three pigs. The two brothers that thought that they could go through life with everything being whimsical and fun. Playing their, playing their flute and fiddling on their fiddle. Never considering, considering the true danger of a wolf. Oh, but then there was that one pivotal scene after the first pig's straw house was blown down. You know, the wolf, I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house in. First little pig, the piper, runs to the fiddler's house. And there the wolf thinks that he can disguise himself as a poor sheep in need of a place. And in the Disney cartoon from 1933, they saw right through the disguise. Let me ask you a question. Do you see through the disguise of wolves and sheep's clothing around you? Or is the big bad wolf devouring you and you don't even realize it? 1 John chapter 4 is where we're going to be today. In 1 John, believe it or not, he is putting us face to face with the big bad wolf. And to believe it or not, we're going to be able to see how to see past the big bad wolf because of who Christ Jesus is and the foundation of our faith. If you've got your place in 1 John chapter 4, I would like to invite you, if you're able to stand with me as we read the word of God together, looking at verses 1 through 6. And asking ourselves the question, who's afraid of the big bad wolf? Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you will know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the Spirit of Antichrist, of which you have heard it is coming and is now already in the world. You are from God, little children, and you have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak as though they are from the world, and the world listens to them, but we are from God. 
And he who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. And by this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for truth. We thank you that truth came down in the form of a man. God of God, man of man, Christ Jesus in the flesh to save us, to protect us, to assure us of an eternal home. But Lord, there are so many around us, so many that come proclaiming one thing that seems good but does not reflect the beauty of what you have done for us for eternity. And Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom, give our hearts the eyes to see through error and that we would be able to see truth and rejoice that you are the true and living God. Father, we love you. We thank you for the love you have shown us, the love you have given us, the love of a Savior. We thank you for Christ, and we ask this in his name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, I know what you're th they're thinking. Evan, you're talking about the big bad wolf. You even got a picture of the big bad wolf there. You, you remember him now, right? He's all cunning and crafty. He's all going to sneak in there and try to trick you and huff and puff and blow your house down. But you're talking about wolves and I mean, I never saw a wolf in that passage of Scripture. It's talking about truth and confessing Jesus and spirit of Antichrist and false prophets. And the reality of false prophets are the exact reality that Jesus brought us to in Matthew chapter 7. And here's something that you and I have to grapple with. We can't stick our head in the sand. We can't pretend that it's not real. Wolves in sheep's clothing exist. Wolves in sheep's clothing exist exist they appear to be something they're not they appear to be part of us they appear to be true they appear to be with us but they are against us see this wolf looks a little scarier than the cartoon whimsical big bad wolf doesn't he see a wolf in sheep's clothing is something that is going to set up and pretend but will eventually be revealed. And John says here, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because there are false teachers. There are false prophets. Jesus said it this way over in Matthew chapter seven, verse 15. You can write this in your margin or there in your outline. He says, he says, beware of the false prophets. Here we go. False prophets, right? False prophets is what John says. False prophets is what Jesus says. Who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Inwardly they are ravenous wolves. So early this week as I was preparing the sermon, I looked up the old Silly Symphony from Walt Disney 1933. And I watched it. I hadn't seen it in years. And I'm watching it. I had forgotten all about the second, the, the, the second house that the wolf approached. He bangs on the door. And he says, little pig, little pig, let me in. And they're like, no, we're not going to let you in. Not by the hair of my chinny, chin, chin. You remember it? Yeah. And so the wolf says, okay, well, I'm going to leave. And believe it or not, the wolf walks away. and goes around the corner and hides for just a second. And then he thinks, I'm going to get him. And he comes back with a sheep's skin draped over him in a basket. And he knocks on the door and they say, who's there? And he says, I'm just a sheep with no place to go. Now, had they looked out the window, they might have seen something that looked like a sheep. 
Now, what do you think would have happened to pig one and pig two, the piper and the fiddler, had they allowed the wolf in sheep's clothing in? Ham sandwiches, anybody? A little fried bacon? And so John tells us that we are to test the spirits because not everyone that comes standing in a pulpit, not everyone that's holding a leather-bound book, not everyone who wears a coat and tie, not everyone who claims to be a preacher is proclaiming to you truth. It does not matter how big their smile, it does not matter how big their TV or radio ministry, it does not matter how many books they sell, if they are not tested for their adherence to the word of God, then they have come to you as a false teacher. They may sound nice. And they may promise you some good things. But ultimately what we're going to find and what John shows us is that by testing these spirits, what we're going to find is that wolves can be detected. Wolves can be detected. He gives us some ways that we can look and know, are we dealing with a true sheep? Are we dealing with a true lamb? Are we dealing with someone who is of God? Because he says, test the spirits whether they are from God. spend any time reading the Old Testament it's kind of sad to see how often God's people are misled by false prophets how often that people that claim to be following God are listening to prophets that have no desire to honor God but only seek to honor the king, only seek to honor the political power, only seek to honor the, the financial power, only seek to line their own pockets and benefit themselves. <laughs> you go and start looking at the history of Israel in the Old Testament, you see times and times and times that there was peace prophesied when there was an angry Assyrian army waiting to rain down on Jerusalem. When you see the hand of God, when there were prophets, true prophets saying, no, you need to listen to what God says, return to me, repent, your sin is coming forth. See, they're calling out sin. Oh, but all these false prophets congregating around Ahab and congregating around, uh, congregating some of, uh, around uh, Jeroboam and some of the, the wicked kings of Israel said, no, 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 we're good. They didn't test the spirit. And what John tells us here in verse 2 is that we will know the Spirit of God, that every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh has come from God. The reality is that wolves will deny who Jesus Christ is. Wolves will deny who Jesus Christ is. And just because they have a pulpit, just because they have a platform, and just because they have a winsome way, if they are not proclaiming the reality of Christ Jesus, they are a wolf in sheep's clothing. Look at what John says. He says, you will know that this is of God, that this is the true spirit. Notice what he says. Everyone that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. There is something about the person of Jesus Christ 
who he truly is that will come out in the true proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to stand up here and call names. But some of you watch on TV a couple of preachers out of Texas, one out of Houston, one out of the Dallas area, that when push comes to shove, they deny the reality of who Christ Jesus was was not God in the flesh, was a good man, was a great prophet, was a good teacher and did some really cool things. But God shows us in his word that Jesus Christ existed before Mary, that Jesus Christ was the true and eternal word and he came in the flesh to us. He was not God appearing to be man. He was not man appearing to be God. He was fully God and he was fully man. And the Bible makes no mistake, does not wash over how it could happen. The fact that it did happen and puts us right in perspective of seeing that Jesus Christ is the only begotten son of God. Not one of many, not a son of God, the son of God. And there's a subtle danger in false teachers. This past week, I saw a a video, a little video clip of a a very famous uh, Bible teacher lady out of Florida. Her name is Paula White. Um, Paula White is um, borderline on false teaching. And when she says that Jesus Christ was not the only son of God, but he made sure that we could be sons of God and that we establish ourselves as one of many sons of God. No, no, no. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. We become heirs with Christ and we become part of the family of God. But make no mistake, we are not like Christ in his sonship to God the Father. And when we step across the line, we diminish who Christ Jesus is for our own benefit and we allow false teachers to come in and devour us. They've snuck in in that basket. We say, oh, they look so nice. They look so good. Oh, what they say is pleasing to my ear. We're going to come back to that one. Wolves will deny who Jesus Christ is. And because they deny who Jesus Christ is, wolves will also confuse issues of the gospel. They will confuse issues of the gospel. Notice what he says here. He says, every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Now, you think at the surface that he's just restating his point, but what he's establishing here is what this confession entails. So so let's just kind of back out just a little bit, and this is going to help us expose some of the false teaching that's kind of going around in American Christianity that many of us have bought those books, many of us have listened to those podcasts, many of us watch those TBN specials on on, on Friday night or Saturday night, and and, and we, 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 we we absorb it. We let them into our house, and we let them into our house, we let them into our heart, we let them into our heart we start getting confused but let's start with who Jesus is if Jesus is the very son of God the eternal word then we've got to come to grips with the only purpose for which he came he did not come to give you a better happier life today he came to give you life more abundant which means your highs are going to be higher your lows are going to be lower 
He didn't come so that you would be killing it at the job. He didn't come so that you would have all the health and all the, all the wealth and everything that false teachers around will proclaim. He came to see you redeemed because you had a sin problem. I'm going to phrase it this way. Sin was your only problem. It wasn't a bad knee. It wasn't a disrespectful employer. It wasn't uh, disobedient kids. It, it, it was sin. Sin was your problem. Sin was my problem. Jesus came to give his life. And the reason that we have to establish this is because hell is real. Period. So, so, so when you're listening to a preacher preach or a teacher teach and they're given a public platform to express the reality of hell as Joel Osteen did on Larry King Live 11 years ago and said, no, I don't believe God would send anybody to hell. You've got a false teacher and we are inviting them into our homes. Period. What was the gospel about? The gospel was about the wrath of a holy God against our sinful condition. The gospel is about Jesus Christ, the only provision of that holy God to erase and take away our sin. The gospel is about a hell that was not designed for you. It was not designed for me. It was designed for Lucifer, the deceiver of old who, who swept away and tried to abscond with God's glory. But all it got him was eternal separation and a place of a pit of fire in hell. And he doesn't want to go alone, so he's after you. And he's after me. And he'll send false teachers. He will send wolves into our lives that will confuse us on some gospel issues. If you know me well, you know that I do value social justice. But when social justice takes the place of the death, burial, and resurrection of our Christ who died to save us, then we have adopted some false teaching. When prosperity, it's not a bad thing to have money. It's not a bad thing to have good health. But when that becomes the focal point, then we've brought it into the realm of false teaching. Missions are a great thing. It is important for us to go and share the good news. But when all we talk about and all we focus is on missions, 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 it becomes about the task and not about the gospel that saves. And we could borderline taking a good thing and making it an idol in our church and in our lives because we've allowed some wolves. And guess what? Jesus is not going to allow us for all time to be devoured by these wolves. But Satan's going to try to use everything. Oh man, a full church calendar makes Satan happy, believe it or not. Believe it or not, a full church calendar makes Satan happy. Because he knows he can keep us busy with all the stuff. And miss the life-changing good news of Christ. Having a full church calendar is not a gospel issue. Having a full church calendar creates places where we can infuse the gospel into what we do and how we shape culture. But we are not going to allow the things that we do to transcend above the gospel that saves. Because wolves will confuse issues of the gospel. 
Notice he goes on a little bit further. He says, every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not of Christ. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming into the world and now is already here. See, wolves are going to draw from an insufficient source. Now, now look, at, look at what's pit out there in front of us. Look at what's, what's lay, levied right there in the very, the very wide open. Something that is of the Spirit of God versus something that is of the Spirit of Antichrist. See, these wolves are drawing from something that is less than, something that is insufficient, something that is not going to deliver on what it has promised. So I grew up in South Georgia. In South Georgia, uh, the, the, the main driver of the economy in South Georgia is, is agriculture. Man, you, man go, go drive through South Georgia sometime. Get on some of the, don't go down Interstate 75. I mean, you'll see some from Interstate. Get over on Highway 41 and just parallel a little bit. You'll see a whole different picture of South Georgia. Yeah, get, get over on Georgia 300 from, from, uh, from Cordell down to Albany. Get on some of these little back roads. Drive through Americas and, and see the little two-lane roads where you've just got nothing but fields everywhere. And one of the things that you're going to find in those fields are what we call pivot irrigation. Now, pivot irrigation is this large metal contraption on wheels that has a central point. And in that central point, there is an underground well that goes into the aquifer, which is the underground water source down below the surface. And there's a pump that's going to pump that water up and send it through the pivot irrigation. And that thing might go um, literally, I'm not kidding you, a quarter of a mile one direction. And it's going to slowly make its way around a few years ago a few years ago well a little over 20 years ago now I worked on a sod farm my job was to jump on the tractor mow the sod fertilize the sod kill the weeds in the sod because when these golf courses came and these neighborhoods came and wanted nice Bermuda grass sod for their golf course or their neighborhood, they didn't want it full of weeds. They wanted it nice. They wanted to. Well, my boss had us plant a new field. And, and, and he got out there. We, we, man, we planted, it was about 400 acres in this field of, of just grass. That was a hot, hot, long couple of days. And what you do after you plant it on those kind of sod fields with Bermuda grass where you're doing a, what they call it sprig planting, where you're planting little bitty sprigs of it in the ground, you're not planting seeds, is you got to go after it. You got to drive back and forth over the field with this giant drum roller just to pack it all down. Let me tell you something. When it's 103 degrees outside with 90% humidity, in July in South Georgia and you're on a diesel tractor and you're going less than one mile an hour. <laughs> I am so grateful for the blood of Jesus because I think that is as close to the heat of hell that I ever want to be. Oh, it's miserable. We spent three days working on this field, getting everything planted, getting everything rolled. 
And my boss, his name was Mr. Roger, he goes over and he turns on the pivot irrigation. And nothing happened. I mean, the, the pump come on, came on. You, you, you could hear everything running, but you started to hear this odd that the other pivots didn't make. Now, Mr. Roger was a very, very wise businessman. He had made lots of money being the president of Kelly Manufacturing Corporation. They made farm equipment that sold all over the southeast. He turns to the farm manager, a man named Jerry. Jerry, what's wrong with the pivot? Jerry was a good old boy. A country bumpkin. The kind of, guys that would, the kind of guy that would wear overalls without a shirt. And he looked at him and just kind of laughed and said, Roger, we hadn't hooked that irrigation to the well yet. He was trying to draw from something that was not there. And there was no water that was going to go out. The irrigation looked great and the field looked great. But until the connection was made, he was drawing from an insufficient source. And these spirits, these wolves, they come and they're proclaiming wealth. They're proclaiming, they're proclaiming this, they're proclaiming that. But it's not Christ Jesus, so it will always disappoint. Oh, man, you'll, you'll see it. You'll, you'll see pastors. They'll get up there and... I just, I just want you to know, and I've told you this before, I'm going to tell you again, just get ready for a whole year of me saying this. I hate pastoring during election cycles. I hate it. I hate it. Because you're going to be pit against separate ideologies that are vying for control of your mind and your heart. And you'll have preachers and you'll have pastors that'll get up there and they'll tell you that you need to vote for this candidate and this party for this reason, this reason, this reason, this reason, or this one because of this one, this one, this one, this one. You know, I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. You will not hear me at any time tell you who to vote for because whoever you vote for is going to let you down. Whoever you vote for is going to be insufficient. And when we make that the main thing is too many churches on both sides have done and will do then we're drawn from an insufficient source. A governor's not going to save us. A president's not going to save us. A congress is not going to save us. A constitution is not going to save us. Those are all insufficient sources. Wolves will draw from the insufficient source. And wolves will also, wolves will also draw an indiscriminate crowd. Notice what he says here. Verse 5. These wolves are from the world. The false prophets are from the world. Therefore, they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. See, what is different about the gospel of Jesus Christ as opposed to anything else you might hear proclaimed is that it does not line up with the way of the world. It does not line up with the ideology that surrounds us. It does not line up with a political party. It does not line up with an economic plan. It does not line up with a social cause. It lines up with the king of kings. And because of that, it's not, it's not, it's not expected to draw a massive audience. Do I want to see this sanctuary filled? Absolutely. 
Right now, we're probably 40% capacity, just looking around. We're probably about 40% capacity. Do I believe that we will see this sanctuary filled? Yes, I do believe that. I believe that, that, that God is, is doing something special here. I, I do believe that God is getting ready to use this church to really transform the, the, the way that this community views the gospel and views the church and what we're doing. Because I, I've, I've heard it said so many times, so many times just in the last, the last three weeks. I've never seen a church like this that values diversity, that values unity, and puts it together in a way that we all feel like family. That's, that's what the gospel does. But, but make no mistake about it. The gospel also divides. It divides cleanly between who we are in Christ and how the world operates. That's why John chapter 6, Jesus just pours his heart out to the crowd. I don't know how many people were there. Let's just say there were a thousand people there that day. Man, that'd be great. Man, if we had a thousand people here, we'd be in probably three services just to make sure that we were able to get everybody in comfortably and all those good things. But let's just say a thousand people. You know how many people he had left when he got down to the end of his sermon and gave the altar call, the benediction? Twelve. They all left. Because they could not handle the truth of what Christ had just done in revealing the nature of the kingdom of God. They all went their separate way. And Jesus looks, John chapter 6, verse 66, the saddest verse in the entire Bible. Everyone left. When Jesus looks at his disciples and says, you guys going to leave too? And for all the grief that we could give Peter for the times that he puts his foot in his mouth and says something just completely idiotic, he just asks him, where, where are we going to go? Who else has the word of life? See, church, when we start allowing the gospel to shape our lives, to shape our ministries, to shape our church, and we start rooting out wolves that we've allowed to come in in sheep's clothing and start proclaiming, we're going to demonstrate to Fairburn, we're going to demonstrate to Palmetto, we're going to demonstrate to Union City, to Fayette County, to Coweta County, to South Fulton County, that this is the word of life. And a crowd and a person and an individual that wants to know the true and living God will be able to see that. But the world around us is valuing bigger and bigger and better and better. And just because it's a full house on Sunday doesn't mean that it's a gospel message being preached. Go ahead. Watch Pastor Osteen on Sunday. He's got a huge crowd. 24,000 people they can sit in there. An indiscriminate crowd. A crowd looking, as John says, they listen to him because he's speaking the way of the world. But Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. We speak the way of Christ. So here's some good news for you. Because wolves can be detected, wolves can be overcome. Wolves can be overcome. Look at what he says in verse five, or excuse me, verse four. You are from God, little children, and because you're from God, you have overcome the false teachers. You're overcome. Verse six, we are from God, and he who knows God listens to us. He who is from God, does, but he is not from God, does not listen to us. 
By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. See, wolves can be overcome when we hold the gospel high, when we hold Christ Jesus. Jesus himself says, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. I will draw people. It's at the name of Jesus that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. It's at the throne of Christ in the glories of heaven that people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation and every group around the world will say, this is the king of glory. So today, so today, you have a choice and you have an opportunity to see wolves for who they are. And the question is, are you still going to invite them in? See, wolves cannot be domesticated. My, my favorite breed of dog is a German shepherd. That's a domesticated wolf out of Germany. See, the thing about false prophets and false teachers and these wolves is they can't be domesticated. You can't feed them a little kibble and bit and a little jerky and put some water in the bowl and walk them three times a day, four times a day, five times a day, and they'd be okay and they'd be your lap dog. You invite them in and they snuggle up to you and they devour you with lies. But they can be overcome. So who's afraid of the big bad wolf? Who is afraid of the false teaching? If you go back to the Silly Symphonies, Three Little Pigs from 1933, you'll remember the brother that built his house with the bricks. Oh, he laughed at his other brother. He says, you kids... You just think life is a joke and you'll try to play and play and work is not known to you because you're not hard workers. And he continued to lay layer by layer of brick, a solid foundation. And by doing so, he was able to be a safe harbor for his brothers who were almost completely devoured. And it was after uncovering the truth of these wolves, this wolf, it was after defeating the wolf by having the right structure, the right solid foundation, that together they could all laugh and sing. Who's afraid of the big bad wolf? The big bad wolf. The big bad wolf. The foundation of Christ gives us the glory of God in which we can look at the false teacher and say, who's afraid of the big bad wolf? Not me, because I've got the Savior. So who's afraid? Who's afraid? 